Welcome to the Allie on the Run Show. I am your host, Allie Feller, and today you are listening to episode 55. Today's guest is one of the funnest, most personable runners in the business. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Nick Simmons. Nick is a recently retired professional track athlete who specialized in the 800 meters and represented Team USA at the 2008 and 2012 Olympic Games. He retired last year and now Nick is all about the marathon. So in addition to talking about how he became a professional runner, despite hating running for a while, we also talk about his mental toughness and the sacrifices he had to make to be a professional athlete. Plus, we talk about his recent marathon debut at the Honolulu Marathon, including what the pain actually felt like and when exactly he decided he was going to sign up for marathon number two. Nick is currently training to run a sub three hour marathon this spring and make sure you're following him on Instagram at Nick Simmons because he is going to announce his race of choice next week. As always, Nick is super candid in this conversation and opens up about everything from doping and professional running to becoming CEO of his company, RunGum, to, yes, his current relationship status. So if you've ever wondered if those rumors about Nick dating Paris Hilton were true, I've got you, because I asked and he answered. Plus, I threw about 20 brand new sprint to the finish questions his way, 19 or so of which will definitely make you laugh. So on your marks, let's go. Awesome. So Nick Simmons, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I am so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. We start off the show like you, in theory, start any good run, which means with a warm-up, of course. Do you warm up? I sit in a hot tub for 10 minutes. Does that count? <laughs> uh, hell yeah. And also, that's what I need to start doing as my Lazy warm-up. man's warm-up. <laughs> nope, that's amazing. So warm us up. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do. Yeah, I'm Nick Simmons, just recently turned 34 years of age. I live in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, I was a professional athlete for 12 years, specializing in the 800. And I made two Olympic teams and retired from the track back in June. And now I'm a hobby jogger and the CEO of a sports supplement company called RunGum. So why do you call yourself a hobby jogger now? Is that just because you're not a pro anymore, technically? You know what? I, I say that with the absolute utmost amount of pride. It was really great focus, make, making running my number one job, my number one priority in life. And I, I lived a 24-7 lifestyle. I did everything I could to be as fast as I could. And I, I looked forward to that day where I could have a a more healthy relationship with running. And in the last six months, I found it. I absolutely love jogging. <laughs> I don't like sprinting. I don't like intervals, but I really like putting on my trainers and going out for a jog in the morning. And so I call myself a hobby jogger and I'm proud, a very proud hobby jogger. I love that the guy who made a career out of running the 800 says he doesn't like doing intervals or sprinting. Never did, <laughs> you know. I mean, so how did you get into that then? Tell me a little bit about. Yeah, let's jump right in. Was, how did you become a professional track runner? It was always a love-hate relationship between me and running, and I started when I was thirteen. Um, I was a soccer and ice hockey player, but a really late bloomer. I was about five feet tall, ninety pounds when I started high school. So, going out for the varsity hockey or varsity soccer team really wasn't an option for me, and. Those coaches encouraged me to go out for cross country where no one would be tackling or hitting oh. me. So I went out and I was I was good. I mean, I was really good. I, I, uh, I think I was top five on varsity for cross and went out and won uh, some state titles really early on in track. And it wasn't that I loved distance running, but I really loved being good at something. And so it was kind of that, you know, you, I think runners can appreciate this. 
the hard work that you put into running pays you dividends. You know, the harder I worked, the faster I got, the better I ran, the more uh, attention and and uh, support I got from coaches and, and teammates. And so I liked that. And, and it was kind of this never-ending cycle of train hard, run a race, PR, and then do it all over again. And I guess I did that for about 20 years. So then whose idea was it for you to go pro? If this, you know, I, I get that when it's something you're good at, it can be a, kind of addictive. But I think most people, even when they're pretty good runners, don't say, I'm going to go pro. There's obviously not all that many professional runners. So at what point did it come up as a career option? And were you like, yeah, that seems like a good idea, even though I hate intervals. <laughs> yeah. And actually, to be honest, I, I I ended up learning to love them and I learned to love the long run. And um, towards the end of my career, I think I loved the training more than ever before. And it was kind of I really disliked it when I was young and I really loved it as I got older. And now, you know, like I said, I, I absolutely love being a hobby jogger. But, you know, that transition from from student athlete to pro was was pretty deliberate decision on my part. As I entered my senior year of college, I had that moment that so many uh, you know, seniors have, and it's like, wow, I'm going to be thrown out into the real world here in a couple months and I need to figure out how I'm going to make money. And for me, I was studying biochemistry at Willamette university and planning on going on to medical school. And I wasn't super excited about it. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a good runner, but I'm, you know, winning national titles at the D three level, kind of just goofing around. I was in a fraternity. I'd get drunk every couple of nights. Uh, just, just kind of like ran when I felt like it, it wasn't, I wasn't taking it seriously. Well, hot tubs um, and drinking. I'm like really yeah. into your training methods right now. Thank you. I, like I really appreciate that. I think that. if that's, that's all I need, I think I could go pro. I, I, I do attribute my lazy streak um, and, and my uh, my giving into temptations as giving as what gave me longevity. I, I, I ran competitively for 20 years because I, I did have that side to me. But when I decided I wanted to be pro, I had to I had to put that side on the backboard, I had to say to myself, I need to live like a pro. And so between the summer of junior and senior year, I moved down to central Mexico for 10 weeks. I lived at 9,000 feet and I trained with a bunch of Kenyans, um, Kenyan professional runners and went from about 180 pounds down to 145 pounds. I went from a 148 half, half, uh, miler down to a 145 half miler. I went from being ranked 60th in the US to being ranked number two in a matter of months. And, uh, and that's what launched my career. I just, just said to myself, I, I am only going to be young once and I want to see how fast I can get. And uh, my grades went to crap. Uh, I was a three, nine student and I went down to two, five my senior year, but whatever it was, it was a risk, you know, it was a huge risk. I knew I could go back and take those classes again. I'd never, ever be 22 years old again. And I wanted to take that risk at the age of 22. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I love the the seize the day mentality of that. So when you decide to go pro, and this is me because I am like, I've always been a hobby jogger. So I don't have this, the professional career to look back on. How do you decide or how did you decide what distance you wanted to compete in? You know, I ran the eight and the 15 equally in college and won titles in both at the D3 level. And when I turned pro, I, I had this kind of dilemma. I was like, oh, I want to be both, but you don't get paid well being good at, at any, at multiple events. You get paid really well for being exceptional at one event. And so when I was speaking with my coach at the time, Coach Gags, he said, I can make you a great miler or I can make you a great half miler, um, but we're not going to make you a good at both. And I said, well, while I'm young and while I feel that I have 
untapped speed in my legs. Let's focus on the eight. We can always move up. And so that's what we did. And I won. Uh, I, I made my first U.S. team at the age of 23 and went off to, to compete for the U.S. in Osaka that year and made my first Olympic team at the age of 24 in the 800. Um, and I just kept running the eight <laughs> every year after that. I, I dabbled in the mile. I actually got down to a 356 mile and had a little success there. But I, I always knew that I was a half miler. I just I loved the event. Uh, I loved everything about it. Okay, so the half mile, the 800, I, I've brought this up before because I talked to Kate Grace a couple weeks ago. So I, I brought I posed this same question to her where I okay. was like, when I see 800s on my training plan, that is the one workout that makes me want to stay in bed. And I love huh. running more than anything. I will do any workout. Like, I just, I love it so much. There is something about the 800 that I just cannot figure out. The pacing, the breathing. So tell everyone listening, but mostly me, how do you master the 800? I master it by thinking about four 200s. And if I think about it that way, it sounds super easy. You know, I know some some sprinters that think about it as two 400s. I know some people that break it down into hundreds. For me, it was always about running four 200s. And so it, it was about that first 200 is is chaotic and you're panicked and uh, you just try to you just try to establish position. And then um and then I had different different cues that I would go through each 200. Obviously, my my style of racing was more of a sit and kicks style. So the last 200 is where I tried to really light people up. But uh, if I if I thought about it as 200s and I only listened for 200 splits, it went by a lot faster, and I was able to kind of I was able to meter out my energy a lot better. My my coach used to describe my style of racing as spreading out the peanut butter and you want to spread it as evenly as possible across that toast. Um, and there's a lot of athletes that just don't get that. They go out way too hard or they go out not hard enough. Um, with the, the first one being the majority of most, most Americans problems of going out way too hard. Um, and I, I was good. I wasn't a great 800 meter runner in the sense that I was never going to run 141, you know, but I was really good at running within myself and getting better and better each year and getting to the highest level of competition is what allowed me to really have some big breakthroughs. So when I ran my 142.9, I did it at an Olympic final and, you know, I, without, without reaching those levels through, through being healthy and, and consistently getting better, I probably would have stagnated around 145. And what is your PR? 142.9, oh, that, that race... Yeah, that race at the Olympic finals, the fastest I ever ran. All right, so tell us, you've been twice. What's it like running at the Olympics and representing Team USA? It's an honor, for, for sure. Um, as, as a 24-year-old in Beijing, I was just so nervous. I, I looked down at the track and just said, it's just a 400-meter track like everyone else you've ever run. I, I was too nervous to look up into the stands or you know, really even enjoy the moment in London. I knew what I was getting myself into. And I really took a moment before each round to look up into the stands and uh, imagine 1.3 billion people watching and, and just savor how freaking cool it was. Um, I had learned to master my emotions a little bit better. And, and so doing, doing that, you know, looking up into the stands, it didn't send that spike of adrenaline through my system that I was, that I was uh, trying to maintain for the race. Do you ever just wear your Team USA uniform around the house? No, but the first <laughs> team I made back when I was 22, uh, USATF shipped me this huge box of Nike gear. And I was a D3 kid. I had to buy my own singlet 
to compete for our team. That's that's what, <laughs> you know, I, I, let, let's just say I had two pairs of running shorts and I just alternated them every single day. So uh, when I made that team, I got this box full of, I mean, over $1,000 worth of Team USA gear. And I, I unbat uh, pop excuse me, I unboxed the entire thing and tried every single piece of gear on and I ran around the backyard and I made my dad take a bunch of pictures. Of oh my me. gosh. It was a, it was a really, to this day, maybe, you know, other than stepping on the track at an Olympic Games, one of the coolest moments of my career. So which is more nerve wracking then? Is it competing at the trials or is it competing at the Olympics? Trials. Honestly, yeah. um, the nervous, the most nervous I've ever been for a race was before the 2008 Olympic trials. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd made so many sacrifices to become an Olympian and for better or for worse in our country, um, there's two types of professional runners, those that have made a team, an Olympic team and those that haven't. And I know a lot of really great runners that for whatever reason, never made an Olympic team. And I just, I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. I wanted to prove to everyone that all the sacrifices I'd made and all the, you know, quote unquote, dumb decisions I made were worth it for a reason that I could be an Olympian. And I knew that if I, if I didn't take advantage of the opportunity in 2008, that I'd have to wait four more years. And it's that, uh, it's that knowledge that you're going to have to wait four more years to prove yourself that just eats away. It was very difficult to handle those emotions at the age of 24. Yeah, I imagine. One thing that I really can't comprehend is that to be a professional athlete, professional runner specifically, you are constantly competing against other people. Your success relies a lot on what you do and the work you put in, but it also has a lot to do with the work other people are putting in. Do you consider yourself to be pretty mentally strong? I wasn't when I was younger and I recognized kind of in my mid twenties, how emotional I am as a person and uh, being emotional it can be a good thing, but it can also be a really bad thing, especially when it comes to competing at the highest level. And so I started working with a sports psychologist who would ask me the kind of questions that would help me get through the roller coaster of emotions. And, uh, you know, he didn't ever, he didn't ever tell me things or say, you need to do this, but he was really good at asking me the kind of questions that allowed my brain to process information. I'm a pretty analytical, logical person. And, so sometimes I'd be in a panicked moment about something. Here's a really great example. Um, in the Olympic semifinals, um, they had put an extra person in our heat because someone had gotten tripped in the prelims. And that extra person happened to get placed in my heat. And I was so upset that there was an extra person put in my, in my race. It made it so much harder for me to advance to the finals. And I was pacing around my apartment in the Olympic Village, and I just couldn't get past this huge injustice that had been done. And I, I put an SOS call out to my sports psychologist, Jeff Trosh, and he said, you know, yeah, this is tough. I mean, it's not fair, but let me ask you this. Are you more likely to miss out on the finals because there's an extra person in your race? Or are you more likely to miss out on it because you, you're wasting energy worrying about it? Mm. And I laughed and I'm like, well, obviously it's about <laughs> worrying about it. And he's like, exactly. And he goes, and for all you know, that extra person is going to get in the way of your competitors and make it harder for them to make it and make it easier for you. I'm like, that's a real possibility, actually. And so he just he was really good and still to this day is really good at communicating with me and and helping me see the logic uh, in a situation when maybe I can't see it myself. Yeah, that's so important. So when you're standing, you know, you're in your lane, you're ready to go, whether it's, you know, a smaller race or it's the Olympics, what's generally going through your head? 
whether it's an Olympic final or some no-name meet that I don't care at all about, I always thought, damn it, this is going to hurt because it's the <laughs> 800 meters. And no matter how you run it, it's going to hurt at some point. And uh, certainly I was more nervous on on results when I was at a bigger race. But even in the littler races, I was like, oh, my gosh, I just – this is really going to hurt. <laughs> that kind of sucks. You know, it's, it's why I always wanted to be a hundred meter sprinter or 200 meter sprinter. Cause it would have been over so much faster. And I wouldn't have had that horrible lactic cramping that you have at the end of, of an eight, but you know what, for better, or for worse, the 800 chose me. And, and I had a, I, I loved it. I, I mean, there were times I hated it, but for the most part, I really loved that event. So you mentioned that you made a lot of sacrifices to become an Olympian. What were some of those sacrifices? Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, we already talked about grades, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> deciding to deciding that I was going to be a straight C student instead of a straight A student was tough on me and my family, but we all recognized the need to make sacrifices there to try to see how fast I could be a lot of time with my family. You know, my family was so great and they were so supportive, but I missed a lot of family events and holidays and, uh, they understood it and they understood that to be great, you got to make those sacrifices. Uh, I, I couldn't have a relationship in my twenties. Uh, I had tried to have a couple, but they, they failed because I was on the road eight months out of the year. And it was really hard to try to have a relationship that way. So there were sacrifices that I made, but I don't regret it at all. I I think so few people get that opportunity to really throw themselves into something entirely and just really see how great they can be if they make those sacrifices. So I, I'm glad I did. I'm also extremely grateful I don't have to make sacrifices like that anymore. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about that. How did you you, you retired last year or the year before? I retired in June 20, of 2017. 20, okay. So tell me about the decision to retire. How do you make that decision? My left ankle made it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would have kept running probably till I was 40 if people kept paying me and my body held up. But uh, after 20 years of turning around in circles, running around the, the track, my left ankle just it could not tolerate it one more step. And to this day, I won't run on track. I'll go out and I could give you 26 miles tomorrow if you ask me to. But if you ask me to run – a lap of a track, I wouldn't do it unless you let me run in the other direction. I, I just physically can't plant my foot and turn around my left ankle anymore. Ah, okay. So you decided to retire when you woke up the next day as a non-professional runner. What's going through your head at that point? A little bit of relief, a lot of it, a lot of it relief actually, but also this kind of, uh, it was sadness because I had done it at, at us, us championships and, being there and watching so many of my friends have these great races and knowing that I'll never get that feeling of coming down the home stretch again, it was it was uh, bittersweet. You know, I, I was ready for it. I knew it was time, but certainly some nostalgia. And so I I think I put out a message on Instagram, um, and that's my favorite platform for those listening. I'm I'm on there at Nick Simmons, and I put out a message saying I'm feeling kind of sad today. I'm feeling a little bit of nostalgia, and I'm gonna do what I always do when I'm sad and that's go and, and reconnect with the outdoors. And I drove from Sacramento where USA's was taking place up to Lake Tahoe. And I spent two days hiking and swimming and it was just exactly what I needed. I felt so good afterwards. I, yeah, I'm not nice. retired, but can we do like an alley on the run retreat and you can all lead Heck us yeah. and we'll do that. That'd Perfect. be great. Awesome. Yeah. As yeah. long as it's in, as long as it's outdoors and in nature, like I'm down for anything. I love skiing fishing, surfing, running, you name it. And so that's what I did to decompress. And then from that point on, and I, I had, I had announced at USA's that I was going to run the Honolulu marathon. And so after that, that little decompression spell, I just threw myself into training. And it was so funny because I'm like, well, I know this lifestyle, wake up and train, 
but there wasn't the pressure anymore. It was, it was just how, how fast do I want to run? I mean, I could do zero training and go out and waddle a six hour marathon, or I could train my butt off and try to break three hours. And I kind of had a little bit of a, of a hybrid of that. I, I trained kind of hard, but not that hard. So tell us a little bit, because I want to talk about Honolulu. First, why did you want to run coming, you know, from the 800 to the marathon, quite a big jump. But when you're training for the 800, what would you peak at for your long runs? Uh, 13 miles. Okay. So and only half of a marathon. Yeah. Still very mar- long. I, I do, still very long. Right, I, I, I would do it between 10 and 13 miles every single Sunday when I was really training for the eight. So what was it that made you want to do the marathon? I kind of, I have this running bucket list and I looked down that bucket list and I realized I'd done everything I'd ever wanted to do in running except run a marathon. So it was the only logical thing is to set a new goal. And that goal was to, to run a marathon, not necessarily to race one, but to run one. Okay. So, and it seems like a stupid question, but why Honolulu? I mean, why not Honolulu? But, right. But uh, what, what made you choose that race? You know, I'm, I have a good relationship with the meet director, Jim Barhall. And I, I reached out to him. I said, I'm looking for a marathon. He said, we want you here. We want run gum here. He goes, whatever you need, let us know. And just the, the mentality of, of Honolulu and the people out there and, and the beautiful, beautiful island of Oahu. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a better marathon. And, and my entire uh, run gum team, who many of which got free tickets out to Honolulu, were also very grateful. Okay, so I would like you to hire me so that I can go to that <laughs> next year. But also, yeah. Allie on the Run Show retreat to the Honolulu Marathon. We're co- Look, all it. these plans we're coming up with. I feel like this is very productive right now. Let's talk about the race. How did it go? Really well. I mean, I had, I had so many ups and downs with the training, and there was a time there where I had some bad knee knee pain in my right knee, and I took two weeks off, like a month out of the marathon. I kind of was looking at everybody. I'm like, how are we going to – like, this is a PR disaster. You know, <laughs> try to train for the marathon and can't even get to the starting line. And I have a great physio here in Eugene that put me back together. And off of 25 miles a week, basically, I just went up and, and gamed up on the day and ran three hours. So I was really pleased with that. I put the over under at three and a half hours because I'm like, I could maybe like, I've, I mean, I've been training for 20 years, so I, I could maybe run under 3.30 or it could blow up at mile 20 and I walk in and it could be five hours. So I had no idea because uh, I'd never run beyond 15 miles before. That was the longest run I'd ever done until I stepped foot on the starting line of the Honolulu Marathon. But I gamed up and, and had some great support out there and I ran three hours and 35 seconds. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on your marathon debut. So how did the pain of the marathon compare to the pain of the 800? Totally. I mean, totally different sports. Uh, I love the eight, but it was over in a minute and 40 some seconds and the pain lasted a very short amount of time. That marathon was, you know, at mile 20, I had to really just sit there and say, can I do this? Can I run six more miles at any pace? You know, just putting one foot in front of the other. And uh, I would say... Oddly enough, I feel more mentally equipped to handle the pain of a marathon than the pain of it, the of middle distance running. Probably one of the reasons why I have absolutely zero interest in ever running an interval again. But I'm I'm hap- I'm happily signing up for another marathon. I I dig. We call it type two fun. When you're out there in the elements, suffering for a long period of time, but afterwards you look back on it and you say that was awesome. <laughs> I'm all about type two fun. I love mountaineering. I love being out in the elements and suffering. And I love marathoning. I, I, I kind of had this this idea in the back of my mind that I was going to love it. But uh, until you actually do it, you never know. And and the day after the, the Honolulu Marathon, I said, well, I'm signing up for another one of those. And, <laughs> and you and did. 
Yeah, yeah, I did. Let's talk about it. So you have since sure. announced your plans that you will run sub three, which means shaving off how many seconds? Only 36. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you can do it. I feel pretty good about this goal. So tell us about your your sub three plans. Have you announced which race you're running? Not yet. I, I put it out there so. that I want to run a spring marathon and I want it to be flat because okay. uh, Honolulu had a hill at mile 24 that stopped me in my tracks. So uh, I, I kind of I've been looking around and I know which one I'm going to run. I haven't announced it yet. Um, you're actually this is exclusive news here. I'm going to be making that announcement on January 19th. Ah, uh, I want to know now. I can totally I know, edit but the it meet out. Director, the meet director fair. asked me to give him a little bit of time. That's fair. All right. Well, I was going to have one of two guesses. Can I guess? And then we'll see if I'm right. No, there's only so many. No, April you, don't have to, you don't have to say <laughs> if I'm right or wrong. I'm just going to put it out there and you can okay. say nothing. So okay. my initial thought would be Eugene. Because that seems like a no-brainer. My hometown. Yeah. It's your hometown. It's a beautiful, beautiful People marathon. People love it. I've had like 12 guests on this show who have PR'd in Eugene at that it's race. A, it's, a, it's a flat, fast course, and I know almost every inch of it. Yeah. That one's on my running bucket list, so just saying. For sure. Okay. Um, all right. So Eugene would be my first guest. Seems like a no-brainer. My second guess would be the New Jersey Marathon in April because it's amazing and because I will be there and it'll be so fun. So I know you've already made your decision and you're not going to tell us. <laughs> But I love it. I love that Boston's <laughs> not on your list. Boston's not. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a little known marathon up yeah. in Boston. And but it's not uh, flat. most people you guess that flat. one. That's true. That's true. No, Boston's. Um, and I didn't think I didn't expect you to make your Boston. debut at Boston. Yeah. But I guess. Well, I don't know yeah. now that you brought it up. But I don't think you um, No, because I still don't think not, it's Boston. <laughs> it's not Boston. Yeah. No, so, I don't think it's Boston. I think you so, will run Boston someday, but it's not going to be. Maybe. It's not this one. Oh, maybe. Maybe, but you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and just be Nick Simmons here. Boston pisses me off. Oh, why? Let's talk like, about it. I don't like the exclu- the exclusive nature of it. Oh, did you get your Boston qualifier? Oh, you got to go into a lottery. It's BS. I like inclusive events. I like you're all welcome. We're all going to go have fun and we'll have a beer at the end. So I would really be going against my core beliefs to run Boston, but – at the end of the day, it's it is Boston, I know. and it's the oldest marathon in, in the U.S. soil, I believe. And so there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I agree. Would you ever want to be a race director? Never. Oh. Event management is the is the toughest job in the entire yeah. world. Oh, my gosh. It's just it's, it's, uh, it's just putting out fires during the day of the event <laughs> and for the weeks leading up to it. I could never be a good event manager. I'm not a very detailed-oriented person. I'm okay. more of a <laughs> – of a creative type or, or strategy type, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty, I am horrible, and that's why at RunGum we hire really great people to handle that. And uh, if you ask them, they'd laugh. They'd laugh at the the, the thought of me being <laughs> a race director. All right, so we'll scrap that idea. Uh, well, yeah. I can't wait to see what you decide, and tell me what uh, what's the training hopefully going to look like this time around. I really want to be more honest with my training. Uh, if I can stay healthy, I want to try to average about 50 miles a week. I want to get my long runs up to 18, maybe 20 miles. Uh, I know that that will help me. But at the same time, if my goal is to break three, just a couple little tweaks here and there can allow me to do that. You know, wearing different shoes, losing a few pounds, uh, better nutrition, all those things could, could allow me to break three. So, yeah, I think that it, for me – the smart decision is to push the envelope but not push it too much because if I try to run as fast as I possibly can, then I'll, I'll probably end up getting injured. So 
I, I will run harder than I ran in Honolulu now that I have all that information that I, I learned there. Um, and I'll, I'll definitely try to run faster. But uh, but at the end of the day, I'm a CEO and a, uh, and a family man first and, and a, a, a hobby jogger second. So <laughs> I have to allocate my energy to those first two priorities. All right. So you mentioned that little tweaks like changing, for example, your shoes can have a big difference. You can wear whatever shoes you want now. Yeah, I know. How does that feel? That. It feels good. I, I was... I really loved working with Brooks Running, and I ran in the Levitate, which is a great shoe, but maybe not the best shoe for racing or, or, or running fast in a marathon. It's a fairly heavy shoe. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to find a really nice lightweight trainer or possibly even a racing flat that I love. Uh, and I have you know several months to try various, various shoes and find one that really uh, works for me and, and that I believe will hold up to, to 26.2 miles of pain. Awesome. Well, can't wait to see what you decide. All this suspense, Nick, all these like exciting choices you get to make now. It's fun because I get to combine my hobby with business and I love running. I love going out and running these races, but it's also really effective PR for my business, um, Run Gum, and it's really effective at building relationships with other companies. And so we do try to think, how do we, how do we maximize this opportunity? If I'm going to go out there and, and you know, push my, my body to the limits for three hours, we also want to make sure that we bring a lot of people along for the ride. And so if you saw us at Run, Run Aloha, it's a campaign we did uh, going into Honolulu. We invited somebody to come out. We paid my company, Run Gum, paid for an all-expense-paid trip to come out and run with me in Honolulu. It was a really fun sweepstakes we did and a really fun way to kind of engage our, our customers and my fan base. And we'll do the same thing for this next marathon as well. Love it. All right, let's talk about Run Gum. Sure. Tell everyone listening, anyone who's not familiar, I think probably most people know what Run Gum is, but for anyone who is not familiar, tell everyone what is Run Gum. Really simply, it's an energy drink in gum form. And I love energy drinks. I still drink them to this day, even though I own a uh, energy gum company, but there are times where I just kind of crave one. And, you know, as a, as a millennial, you know, grown up in the 2000s, I drank a lot of them. And I thought that it made me feel energized and focused before I ran and before I raced especially. And I liked that, but it really hurt my stomach. You know, that heavy acidic liquid sloshing around your stomach was the last thing I wanted, but I would, I would push through it because I wanted the stimulants and having studied biochemistry at Willamette, I knew that those stimulants could be absorbed sublingually through the lining of the mouth. If only you could find a delivery vehicle to get them there. And, I think I must have been watching an ad for Nicorette or some other subliminal huh. absorption product. The way Nicorette delivers nicotine is through chewing gum. And I said, if I could figure out a way to put caffeine, taurine, and B vitamins, my, my, the stimulants that I liked in the, the energy drink, if I could figure out a way to put those into a piece of chewing gum, then I would be able to get that energy and focus without anything in my stomach. And it took you know a couple years and, and several months of R&D and we finally figured out how to do it, and we launched the product in October 14, and we called it Run Gum. You know, it was born from runners, created for elite athletes, but perfect for anyone on the run. So people running errands, people running into a meeting, people out on the run. If you need a boost in energy, we got you covered. Did you want to be an entrepreneur, or did you just have a good idea and want to pursue it? No, I've always been kind of a hustler. Uh I remember when I was a kid, I had a fly tying business. I really like fly fishing. 
I had this this fly tying business called Boone's Bugs. It was my first <laughs> entrepreneurial endeavor, and I'd tie flies for my dad's friends. You know, and uh, in college, I I had a couple different you know side hustles. I delivered flowers for a florist, and uh, I picked up golf balls on a on a driving range. And so I've always kind of loved that, and I knew kind of in the back of my mind that I. I love the idea of being an entrepreneur, but when, when I was young, I didn't have the guts to do it. You know, it takes a lot to bring a product to market or, or to, to really go out on your own in any entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, but when I met my business partner, Sam LaPrey, I realized that he was the steady force, kind of the rock that we could build a business around. And I could be the creative, emotional one that had great ideas and, and understood PR and, and we really, I call it ham and egging. It's a term golfers use. When when you, one person has a great skill set, but some other weaknesses, and, and their partner offsets it. Sam is the financial guy. He's the he's the guy that makes sure the bills get paid. He's the guy that makes sure uh, the team's built. And I'm the guy off the, out there interacting with with media and you know envisioning the strategy for this company and and how we're going to get from point A to point B. We are a, a great combo. Um, he was my coach for for 15 years. Uh, we won titles on the track, and now we're creating businesses off the track. And, and it's an honor to, to continue to work with them, and, and I feel really fortunate to form that partnership. So which is the ham and which is the eggs? Um, I'll be the ham, I guess. Okay. In this one. <laughs> yeah. Good choice. I like that. One thing I'm interested in is that I think when a lot of people think of Nick Simmons, in addition to all the wonderful things, you're very outspoken in the industry. Like You've always had no problem kind of speaking up, being really vocal, making your voice heard. Is that something that's really natural to you? You know, I'll quote my late grandfather who used to say, everyone's entitled to my opinion. <laughs> a bit of a joke, but, you know, he, he it, it's true. The Simmons family are people who speak out about things that bother them. And, you know, I I think that in, in track and field, there was a lot that bothered me. And I wanted to see change happen, not just because I thought it would help me, but I thought it would help all my all my friends and, and everyone who was trying to eke out a living in the world of track and field. Um, but then on top of that, I also saw that I had this great platform to try to affect some social change as well. So, you know, I spoke out in in favor of gay marriage and spoke out in favor of gun restrictions. And that was in Runner's you know, World, were, right? I know. Yeah, it was. And, yeah, that's and I blogged cool. for them for a while. It wasn't always popular, but I just I don't know. For better or for worse, if something bothers me, I'm going to say something. And it gets me in trouble sometimes, but it it also lets people know exactly where I stand on issues and and. It was part of my brand, I think, certainly as a professional athlete. If you wanted a quote, if you wanted a straight shooter to tell you exactly what he was thinking, you know, people reached out to me and I was able to say exactly what I was thinking and, and hopefully create some change, you know, both on and off the track. So you're obviously since retired from being a professional track and field athlete, as we've covered. But looking back, looking at where the sport was when you first got into it, looking at where it is now, what, in your opinion, are some of the biggest problems facing the sport right now? There's a few. Um, you know, I think, to be totally honest, the restrictions on, on advertising, not allowing athletes to take control and build their brand is something that's really always bothered me. You know, I, as an entrepreneur... I said, listen, I, I don't want your money. I want to go out and earn my own money. And that meant representing sponsors. But unfortunately, the way that the rules are written, it makes it extremely hard for athletes to to gain sponsors. If RunGum wants to sponsor an athlete and have our logo on that athlete at the Olympic trials, we're not allowed to. Right. Nike can. Brooks can. Adidas can. But I can't. RunGum cannot. Why is that? I don't know. I have no idea. There's this, oh. there's this trust. 
there's this trust that's been creative. I do know why, but I, I mean, I don't know. Okay, the, the real reason is that some greedy people want to keep keep the advertising space for themselves. Right. In 1978, and this this is going to get way into the weeds. In 1978, the Ted Stevens Amateur Sports Act um, basically provided uh, immunity to antitrust laws to a lot of these governing bodies, and we're fighting it. Rungum actually actually has a pending antitrust lawsuit against USATF and USOC for the right to put money into athletes' pockets and advertise on their attire uh, at the Olympic trials. It's st- it's a lawsuit that's still pending. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why we can't just bring bring track and field and professional running into the 21st century. We're governed by the Ted Stevens Amateur Sports Act, yet we're a professional entity. Right. And that's why for the majority of my career, I call tr- track and field a semi-professional sport. I really believe that it is. Huh, that's interesting. So what can we do to help improve? How can people speak out? How can people take action to to change some of the problems or, you know, or- I think, I think if we really, as, as a society believe in running and we believe in professional running as this ability has this unique ability to inspire us watching a human push their, the limits of humanity. When, when you watch Usain Bolt run a world record in the hundred, you're just, your jaw hits the floor and you're like, is there anything humans can't do? You know, this, this feeling of awe, but if Usain Bolt is on drugs, you lose that feeling. And I don't think that Usain Bolt was on drugs. Or I'm not I'm not speculating one way or the other. But I'm saying that track and field has a horrible problem with doping. Mm-hmm. And it's ruining the magic of it. If there's one thing that people can do, it's speak out in favor of clean sport and say, I'm sick and freaking tired of watching athletes test positive and serve a two-month or a six-month ban and then stepping back on the track. I am so adamant about lifetime bans, and I think that the public needs to be be towing that line as well, that we want a clean sport, and we want to be able to enjoy the magic of track and field again. It makes me happy to hear you say that you say, you don't think Usain Bolt is doping, because it makes me nervous that he has been, just because he's so good, and I love him so yeah. much, and that smile is the best thing ever. Um, he's great for the sport also. And, yeah. But the, pro- the, one, the one thing why it's so hard to believe is, well, he's, when he's so darn good, but nine, I think the top ten, times ever run in the hundred two through 10 had doping positives at some point or another. I believe that's a correct statement. So it's hard to imagine all of these incredible sprinters that ran those times. And then, but Usain was able to run faster than all of them clean. I want to believe that that is true. I know. I want to believe that too. And if you need something good to watch, have you heard about the documentary Icarus? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't allowed myself to yet. It's just too, too soon. Yeah, I'm you know, halfway I lost a, through. I lost a lot of I lost medals and I lost a lot of money and a lot of moments to dopers and I I'm not quite ready to to go down and learn all of that that yeah. I can learn about doping. I, I when I raced when I competed I stuck my head in the sand and I pretended it didn't go on around me because I physically couldn't do my job if I knew that, I, that it was a stacked game. So when you say you lost medals to people who were doping did you know it at the time or were you speculating at the time or was it not until after the fact mostly speculating you know mm-hmm. i i like to give people credit you know the benefit of the doubt but you know yuri borzakovsky beat me in an awful lot of championship finals and if you've if you've studied what the russians were doing during that era i mean you'd have to be kind of silly to, to think that he never did drugs um now i'm not saying that i know for sure one way or another i'm just saying that the russian federation obviously has been earmarked as a federation that 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 has state sponsored doping, you know, and, and Yuri took a lot of, he took a lot of t- uh, places from me throughout the course of our, of our 10 year overlapping career. 
Well, like I said earlier, I can't imagine having a career where so much relies on what other people are doing as well and having to beat that no matter what, because that's. Yeah. And I had to work with my sports psychologist a lot on that front as well. All right. So before we sprint to the finish, tell me, looking back on your professional career, what is your proudest accomplishment? Making the Olympic team in 08. I had to overcome a lot of self-doubt and a lot of emotions to be able to do that. And and I was able to make all the sacrifice worth it with that one race, I believe. And if I asked you, what is your proudest accomplishment, period, or I guess question mark, not just limited to your professional career, would that still be it? Or does something else come to mind? I think that would still be it. But launching Run Gum, yeah. I think, was a close second. Awesome. Okay. So I put out a question on Insta Stories the other day. I said, recording a podcast with Nick Simmons. I'm super excited. Who has any questions for him? And I got about 10 responses within about oh, 10 good. minutes that said, <laughs> is he dating anyone? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a great <laughs> question. I am. I, uh, I, met a, I met a girl up in Seattle when I was living up there running for Brooks, and we dated for a year or so before I needed to move back to Eugene to take over as CEO of Rungum. And I, I said, hey, I'm moving to Eugene. I want you to come with me. And so I dragged poor Tiana from, you know, wonderful metropolitan Seattle <laughs> to cold, rainy Eugene. But she loves it. We both love it here. All right, ladies. Now you know. <laughs> also, is it true that you dated Paris Hilton? I went on a date with Paris okay. Hilton. Can we talk about yeah, that? Sure, absolutely. Right, how she's you... just recently engaged. Congratulations, I know. Paris. Well, that's what made me think of it. Is I was like, I saw that, and then I this interview was coming up, and I was like, why is that sticking out in my head? I don't remember where I read that, but how did you meet Paris Hilton? I had a great publicist down in L.A. Um, as I was preparing for the 2012 Games, and he reached out to her publicist, and we just exchanged emails and set up uh, drinks about two, not even ten days before the Olympic trials. I was down there and I met up with her at the uh, the, the Hilton would have been too too cliche. We met up at uh, Beverly Hills Hotel and had a couple drinks and it was really nice meeting her. And I I did it a lot in my twenties and it was uh, it was very much like any any first date except you know you ask the normal questions like you know do you travel a lot and you know I think I said oh I just got back from Flagstaff Arizona where I was doing altitude training. She said oh I just got back from a rave in Dubai. <laughs> So, you know, it's like, same, oh, same. okay, basically the same thing. So so there was no was second a, date. It was just the one date. I went, I said, oh, we actually exchanged numbers and we texted for a little while, but I went to the trials and I won the trials and made the Olympic team. She actually put out a, a really cool tweet saying congratulations Aww. to my friend Nick for making the Olympic. And then I flew off to London. So it was, uh, you know, it was, I always wonder what, what could have been if I hadn't had to fly off to uh, you their sacrifices. Wonder. You make those sacrifices. You yeah, know what see, I mean? that didn't come up when I asked you about yeah. sacrifices. You were like, I could have, you know, married you know, I, Paris Hilton. I, but, but to be honest, I've got a hundred stories like that of really incredible people that I met and wasn't able to give them the time and attention that they deserve because track got in the way. And any anyone who ran in college or high school even kind of understands that I can't. I have track, you know, I, and mm-hmm. and it's worth it. But you all always look back and also think to yourself, oh, I, I missed some opportunities there. Before I let you go, we need to sprint to the finish. I was always good at sprinting to the finish. I, I was always ready. I know. Ready. <laughs> You're, we're, we're spreading the rest of the peanut butter. and then. All right, good. All right. Okay. What would your last meal on earth be? Sushi. Favorite movie? Forrest Gump. Favorite TV show? Silicon Valley. Biggest pet peeve? Anything on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest fear? Avalanche. Where was your first real kiss? The 
basement of uh, my seventh grade girlfriend's house. <laughs> Favorite race you've ever done? 2008 Olympic trials. Favorite place you've ever run? Narrabeen Lagoon, Australia. What was your first job? Golf ball picker upper <laughs> on a on a driving range. Is that how it's listed on your resume? Picker upper? Uh, yeah, exactly. I like it. Cool. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A doctor. What is the scariest thing you've ever done? Mm, boy, that's tough. Scariest thing I've ever done. Finish college. Uh, what is your favorite way to eat potatoes? Mashed. What's your favorite French fry? Curly. Yeah, that's a good choice. And and I know this is going to be unpopular, but I hate sweet potato fries. I don't know how that got to be a thing. Well, it's because we tell ourselves they're healthy. I know, but <laughs> they're, they're just too sweet. It's like a dessert for me. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah, fair. I mean, I eat them because I tell myself this is a vegetable and this is healthy, even though it's deep fried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm dipping it in Nutella. It's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. That's real dessert now. You're welcome. No, no, no. It's a vegetable, Nick. It's a vegetable. Oh, okay. And and uh, wine is is fruit salad, right? Yes. Oh, God. You get me. Thank you. What is your favorite animal? Raccoons. <laughs> I don't my friend know. calls them trash pandas. It's so. They sad. are, but my mom my mom adopted a few, and she's raising them, and going to release them back in the wild. Wait, really? Yeah, it's this program called um, Animals in Distress, and uh, if these raccoons, these baby raccoons can't survive through the winter. So they, she takes care of them and then they, she releases them in central Idaho when they're of age. Okay, well, that's it's really adorable. cool. Yeah. I so that. I don't know if raccoons are really my favorite animal, but they're on my mind right now. Cause I was feeding the raccoons a couple days ago. That's amazing. Wait, well, I need to see pictures of that. I'll send you one. They're that really cute. Thank you. What is your least favorite household task or chore? Wiping down surfaces, <laughs> any surface. Pancakes, waffles, or French toast? Waffles. Who knows you best? Sam LaPrey. If you were the ruler of your own country, what's the first law you would put into effect? Mm, that's tough. I'd make walkways like pathways mandatory, you know, everywhere. I want more biking and more running in every city. That's a good one. I like that a lot. That's also very practical. Mine's like everyone has to be nice, but yours, okay. yours is good. But hard to enforce. Hard to enforce. <laughs> exactly. But pathways, <laughs> I like it. Okay. Do you have a go-to mantra for races or tough workouts? Don't waste the opportunity was something I said a lot to myself um, before most races. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Go to the bathroom. What's the last thing you do before you close your eyes at night? Set an alarm. What always makes you laugh? My dog. If you had a warning label for yourself, what would it say? Temperamental. <laughs> Saturday long run or Sunday long run? Friday long run. What is your drink order? I love beer. I also equally love dirty gin martinis. When people come to you for help, what do they usually want? That's a great question. Thank you. Well, usually I'm at RunGum, and they usually want me to tell them which direction the company's going in sales or in marketing. Oh, just a casual, not a big question or anything. No casual, pressure. Casual, like, like, uh, yeah. Where, where, where is <laughs> Nick, this company going? And plan? do I, do I still have a job in ten years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. How many employees do you have? I meant to ask that earlier. We have seven in house, but we outsource a ton. So we outsource manufacturing. We use a contract manufacturer. We outsource PR. We outsource accounting. So, That's awesome. you know, we, we try to keep our, our nuclear team very, very tight. What is the first thing you'd do if you won the lottery? That's a really good question. Depends on how much I won, I suppose. All of it. The, I like 
a billion dollars. Oh, more, like so many billions of dollars. Just, oh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I'd do is, uh, I, this is, I'm so boring, I'd pay off all my debt. Not that I have like billions of dollars of debt, just, you know, I think everybody would like to be debt free. Yeah. All right. That's a great practical answer. Just like your walkways. I like the way you think these things. I know. I'm, I'm the most boring interview ever. I'm no, like, you're not. I, I would build walkways and pay off debt. <laughs> Let's all be fiscally responsible. <laughs> no, I like it a lot. If you had okay. to pack up all your stuff tonight and move somewhere tomorrow, where would you go? Mexico. What is your favorite smell? Pine. All right. You don't have to share it, but be honest. Do you have a running poop story? Man, I have so many running poop Thank stories. Thank you. Thank Who doesn't you. have a good, if you're not, if you don't have a good running poop story, you're not running enough miles. Uh, 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 take it back. Do you want to know who doesn't have a running poop story? Molly Huddle. Really? Molly Huddle does not have a What's running poop secret? story. I don't know. She goes, I was like, are you kidding? She goes, oh, don't worry. There's still time. I was like, I love you. You're adorable. Remember, remember that summer I was living in Mexico? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were some beachos <laughs> down there, you know, some bugs. And there were days where I would have to run next to this cornfield and peel off into the cornfield <laughs> at any given mile and for weeks at a time. But, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's what helped me lose the 25 pounds. I was just going to say, that's how you, that's how you got to race weight. Yeah, exactly. I like it. So that was actually productive. That wasn't one of those sacrifices. That was good. Okay. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Britney Spears. (laughs) Mine too. Who's your favorite runner? Kyle Merber. You're hosting a dinner party. You get to invite any five guests. Who are they? Barack Obama. And Donald Trump, oh. which will make for an interesting evening. <laughs> so fun. Um, I'd also like to – dead or alive, does it matter? Yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Okay, I'd also like to invite Steve Prefontaine, and I would like to invite my deceased grandfather, and I'd like to invite my sister. Oh, I love that. And that is going to be one hell of a dinner. All right, Nick, before I let you go, give everyone listening a reason to run today. They say it keeps you younger and that you should run or do some sort of exercise 30 minutes every single day and you'll be happier for it. So that's why I do it. All right. It's science. Very practical answer, as I would have expected. So this was so fun, Nick. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what marathon you choose in a couple of weeks. I'll be announcing it Jan 19 on Instagram first, probably, because it's my favorite platform. And remind everyone where they can find you on Instagram. You can find me across all platforms at Nick Simmons, and you can follow Rundum across all, all platforms at Rundum. Awesome. And as always, I will include links to all of that in the show notes. So go have a great run, Nick. This was so fun. Happy training. Stay healthy, stay strong, and kick some ass. We are all cheering for you. Thanks so much, Allie. All right, I promised that would be fun. Wasn't that fun? I know it was for me, and I hope you're continuing to enjoy these episodes of the Alley on the Run show. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Alley on the Run 1, and like the Alley on the Run Facebook page, where I will be sharing lots of live episodes and conversations over the next few weeks. So if you've ever wanted a chance to ask the Alley on the Run show guests a question, or if you've ever wanted to ask me or Brian or Ellie a question, you're going to get your chance. And of course, be sure to subscribe to the show on your podcast 
podcast app of choice so you don't miss a thing. If you're loving the show, which I so hope you are because I know I am, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. It only takes 60 seconds, I swear, and I would be so very grateful if you would take the time to make that happen. That is the best way you can help me continue to grow the show and reach new audiences. Thank you so much to everyone who has already left a review and thank you for listening and being a part of this wonderful growing community. 2018 is the year we all hang out in real life. Just wait, it's happening. Until next week, have a fast, fun, fabulous day and thanks for joining me on the run.